Welcome to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast, where expert advice becomes real results. At RNA, we are public land hunters that love to share our passion of the outdoors. So join us and our pro staff team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge to help make hunters more successful. Okay, welcome listeners to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Paw. This is episode number three, and we're broadcasting to you live from Paso Robles, California. Uh, if you look up Paso Robles, California, the dictionary, you'll probably see what's called El Paso de Robles, which is the pass of the Oaks. But this is actually a city known for its hot springs. It's got an abundance of wineries. We're actually been coined as the Napa Valley of the Central Coast. Uh, it's actually gotten pretty crazy the amount of wineries here on the coast. But in addition to that, olive oil, almond orchards, uh, and obviously our California Mid-State Fair is, is the cool thing about living in Paso Robles. But if this is your first time listening, we thank you for your time uh, and hope that you find our show valuable today. So um, our discussion today is going to be specifically around um, the National Rifle Association and the NRA. So I I pulled a little trivia, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the NRA and, and kind of what they do, and just understand, um, you know, what the good things that the NRA does. So the NRA actually has three separate entities. Uh, the NRA of America, which is what we consider as a National Rifle Association, is mainly concerned with promoting training, education, and safety. So, you know, they're based out of Fairfax, Virginia, and our guest today is going to talk more about uh, really the NRA and, and the foundational piece the NRA ILA, so if you go to the website and look, that is the legislative action website that actually uh, is our lobbying arm of the organization. So when you talk about lobbying for a lot of our rights, um, going to, you know, door to door, trying to get people to persuade them to vote certain ways, the ILA is really uh, intricate in ensuring uh, that we've got a lobbying arm in the organization. And then lastly, and probably the most important is the foundation, and it's the charitable arm of the organization that does all of the not for nonprofit uh, fundraising events, banquets, and that's specifically kind of what we'll be talking about uh, today. So, what I found interesting, and, and it's probably as of no avail, but in 2016 it has been a record-setting year on firearm sales. No surprise, election year, people are a little concerned about you know what's going on. So. In 2016, there have been 16 million background checks conducted versus 12 million that were conducted in 2015, so roughly about a 33% increase. So why is that important? Well, what that's telling you is is that there's more people out there buying handguns and rifles, probably trying to stay in front of what potentially could happen after the election. In July, 2.2 million background checks were done versus 1.6 in 2015. So again, just another data point that supports that you know, people are, are out there um, in either private party transferring handguns and rifles or they're buying them themselves. And present at the present rate, there'll be 31 million background checks conducted in 2016, um, which is roughly, I think it was actually a number is about 10 million more uh, than what happened in 2015. So a lot of stuff happening this year, um, specifically, uh, you know, in the firearms sank, uh, sector. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, people are out there buying guns and uh, which is our God-given right under the Second Amendment to do that. So anyway, so to kind of get on with our uh, podcast today, I'm joined by one of my good friends. He's actually my neighbor 
uh, and a guy who is, um, actually when I first met him, I was moving into my house, and he can probably tell the story better than me, but uh, him and his wife walked up uh, with a dozen of chocolate chip cookies, which are one of my favorite cookies. So I knew right away when I when I met Jason that uh, we were going to be long-term friends, and, and uh, that's been now, uh, it'll be almost seven years. So, But beyond that, he's an avid outdoorsman. Um, he's got a really unconditional passion. He's made a career supporting our Second Amendment rights and conservation efforts. Uh, specifically around fundraising. Uh, that's where he's really been passionate and spent a lot of his time, uh, but there's a lot of other good things that he's done. So I want to welcome to the show the the Southwest Regional Director of the NRA, Jason Quick, to the podcast. Thanks, Lucas. Appreciate you having me on tonight. Welcome, Jason. Glad you're here. So just kind of to kind of break the water a little bit, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, maybe kind of how you got your start in interest in the NRA or in conservation, uh, and, uh, you know, really kind of how that's taken off from there. Well, I've always, I've always been into the outdoors, started off at a very young age, uh, hunting and fishing, uh, grew up on the Oregon border of California back when I was a young man and then moved to college. And, uh, when I moved to college, kind of got out of the fishing side, but stuck with the hunting side and, uh, took off from college and started a career in, in the insurance industry, which I found out right away was definitely not my calling. Um, <laughs> so sales and insurance was not something Well, I mean, was... I, was good at, I was good at it, but it wasn't something that I loved to do. Sure. And so while I was working in the insurance industry, um, I started volunteering for all kinds of different conservation organizations and the NRA. So I was involved in Rocky Mountain Elk, okay. Ducks Unlimited, California Waterfowl, uh, Mule Deer Association, California Deer Association. But uh, what I found my true passion was, was the Friends of NRA program. And I was basically a chairman of an NRA dinner banquet for about 10 years um, prior to the NRA calling me up out of the blue one day and offering me a job. Um, So that's cool. It was, it was a, so 10 years later, you're, yeah. Now, 10 years later, you know, you and I are neighbors and, and and things are still rolling pretty good. I've always, I've always been passionate in regards to the second amendment. I've always been really what I consider a constitutionalist. You know, I believe in everybody's rights for the constitution and what I've seen in, you know, my short span of lifetime of 47 years is, you know, people are nowadays are real easy on, ah, we just make a compromise. Let's give up that right. It's not that important. Well, we've all seen that you start giving stuff away and sooner or later you don't have anything to give. Yeah. And so, you can't get it back either and, a lot and, of times. And you can't get it back. Yeah. Whenever yeah. they pass one of those laws that says, oh, it's going to sunset in 10 years. Yeah. I've yet to seen very many of those actually go back. If yeah. they're taxing you a half cent today, and they say they're going to give it back in 10 years, mm, watch out for that. But yeah. but yeah, so that's really been, was my passion to get into the NRA, and I've been employed with them now for uh, approximately 12 years. Okay. Actually, uh, I moved on to the same street that you moved on to 12 years ago, and uh, you came around seven years, seven years now you've been here, so yeah. it's I've kind seen, of a I've seen some thing. of the ride. I've I've also been a part of you know some of the dinner events and help volunteer. We're going to talk about that later in the podcast. But um, 
it's just been great, you know, supporting the effort and and really for for standing up for our rights in the Second Amendment. Well, I I knew it was funny. Uh, you you mentioned uh, my wife making chocolate chip cookies for you. I actually was walking down the street to the mailbox and I knew you were moving in because the house had been for sale and I saw people pulling in and bringing stuff in and and if you remember right, I was walking down the street and I look up and I saw on your banister you had you had hides lapped yep. over your banister. Yep. And I I went home and told my wife I said, "Oh my god. The the new neighbor, he's got he's got I don't know what kind of hides they are, but they are they are definitely hides over yep. the banister." I said, and my kind of guy. Yep. I got to meet him. Yeah. So 2009, and I think I just gotten. I just done my Argentina hunt, so that was I think my stag and and something else. But yeah, that was. I oh, remember Argentina, one of my favorite places to go. Yep. How many times have you gotten to go? Just that one time. I've gotten. Yeah. So you'll oh, probably you're, rub it in. So I guess we're just going to segue. Me, <laughs> so so aside from work a little bit, let's have a little fun and play. You know, tell us a little bit about your personal life and specifically, probably more or less your hunting bio and resume because you've been to some pretty amazing places, taken some pretty amazing animals and have been afforded that in your, in your now yeah. say 47 years of being with us. So. Well, you, you know what, I, um, I, had, I had a situation happen when I was in my early 20s where a gentleman that I really admired and, and I always hung out with older people. Yeah, what the hell? You're young, man. What's up with that? I, I hang know. out with you. But anyway, I always hung out with uh, older people because they always had the same views that that I saw. And um, with that, you know, this one gentleman, I, I actually went to Africa. Out of the blue, my dad said he wanted to go on a moose hunt in Alaska. We were looking at going on a moose hunt. And then we were up in Reno at a gun show. And lo and behold, here was a sign that said, come to Africa, shoot three animals, $5,000. Well, we were looking at paying like $7,000 to go to Alaska for, mm-hmm. for a, a, may, a maybe moose hunt, yeah. you know? Yep. And so uh, my first really international trip, I went to Africa, I went to Zimbabwe um, just during its major unrest, which I didn't know I was doing that, but that was kind of fun. But um, that's kind of what triggered my want to get into the outdoors more globally because I, I I love to hunt, but it was only September to November, December. So I was like, well, what can we do during the off season? Well, what really triggered all this was a friend of mine kept telling me after I went on that first Africa trip, well, man, when I retire, I'm I want to go I want to go with you. Um, sadly, he passed away a couple of years later, and he never was able to go. And when that happened, I told myself you know what, if you ever want to do something, you just got to put your mind to it and figure out a way to make it happen. You might be driving the same 1993 Chevy four-wheel drive truck that you've been driving for 20 years. Which is okay, right. But it's paid for. It's paid for. And now you can afford to go on a hunt. So I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been to Mexico. I've been to Canada. I've been to Alaska. Been to Australia. Been to New Zealand. Been to Africa. Um been all over the United States because when I made that deciding factor that I wanted to do stuff, I've started applying in nine to 11 different states. Of course, in 15, 18, 20 years ago, applying in nine or 11 states cost me all of $1,100. Sure. I mean, it yeah. was a lot of money back then, but it was only 1100 bucks Compared to now. 
Yeah, which when my wife finds the bank account drained and yeah, she's asking don't. what happened to the eight thousand dollars that was in there. Yeah, we don't at a monthly yeah, we probably shouldn't talk about that too. Wives, if you're listening, just skip that whole subject. It's like that meme I saw on social media that said if my wife really knew how much I paid for all my hunting gear. Oh, like, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, we're that. not going to talk about that because <laughs> they don't need to know about that. But, but yeah. So, like some, so you said you've been like, what did you, what'd you hunt in Alaska? I, I was, I've been to Alaska three times now. Uh, got to actually hunt Kodiak Island brown bear okay. uh, on one of the trips. That was, that was probably the pinnacle sure. of, of the Alaska yeah. experience. Um, it was fantastic. I, did, I didn't kill a big bear, but I saw really nice bears and then on the third to the last day killed killed a good bear but yeah it, it was the experience and that's really what you know i mean people talk about people that have a lot of money and have a lot of things i don't have a lot of things well i have a lot of guns but i don't have a lot of things but i got a lot of memories sure. i can tell you that yeah so and that's what lasts a lifetime that's what i've always said people hate it when i go hunting with them because when they get an animal I will spend twenty to thirty minutes taking pictures, and that's awesome. They get, and they look at me, and they're like, "God, why do I gotta change, turn, move the head like this?" And get because I said, "Trust me, in twenty years, and thirty years, and fifty years, you're yes. gonna look back at that and say, I may not remember that story, but I remember those pictures, and it's uh, something that you can reflect back on.'" So. Oh yeah, well, and you know, I mean, the cool thing too for me is now that I've been in the points game, I pretty much started applying any state that had points. I started applying in them, and. I'm max point holder in quite a few different states, yeah, and you're... then I'm in the in the 18 to 20 range in a lot of the other states. So I've actually started to see tags coming around, and no different than I drew that Colorado bighorn sheep tag. Yeah, you know, just a couple of years ago, and that what was, a cool hunt that was. That was a fun, fun excursion. So yeah, you shot like a 160 plus ram, didn't you? Yeah, 170 and five eighths. Not that I actually had it measured, and I keep that written down somewhere. You know but, exactly how much that thing <laughs> scored. Absolutely. And you've been to you've been to Russia, right? You've been yeah. to New Zealand, you've been to Australia, you've been Russia would be what I would consider probably the the most extreme experience I've ever um been on. I will tell everybody if if you ever decide to go to Russia and go tur hunting, um don't call me until after you get back because it's one of those experiences that's awesome. But uh, when you're holding on to the side of a mountain and you're thinking thoughts like, I thought my dad raised me to be smarter than this. And you look down and, and it's how many hundred feet below you? Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking oh, thoughts like, I hope we don't ever have to come back down this way. But now I'm scared because I'm afraid to let go of this rock to go up. You know, it does a lot of things to you. Up until that hunt, I thought I was Superman and can go anywhere and do anything. And now I, now I look at the mountains a little, little differently. I bet. So... But way fun, way fun. Very cool. So, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more um, into the podcast around some of your personal hunts you got upcoming this year. But, you know, clearly you've been able to do some really cool things and see some really cool places, take some really neat animals. It, it, every time I walk into your house, it's like there's usually a new animal on the wall somewhere <laughs> that you probably shot two years ago that it took that amount of time to get the taxidermy done. But it is it is neat going in your house and saying, you know, you've got the Kodiak on the on the floor now and you've been to Africa, you shot a lion too, yeah. right? I mean, hope hoping to get the lion here in the next couple of months. Yeah. Knocking so, on wood. So yeah, it, it always seems like it's like a treasure land anytime you go to Jason's house cuz he's 
either got the newest, coolest thing, gadget, widget, hey, come check this out, I got one of these, or... Which you have a couple of those now. Yeah, or there's a, yeah, although that's another Sorry, thing Jonna. we don't tell our wives about. <laughs> hey, come check out this shotgun I got, and there's no papers on it. I love it. Oh. Okay, so with that, since we were kind of grounded here, we're going to go into talking about some of the topics we want to go over today, specifically... Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what Jason does around the NRA Foundation, uh, specifically the nonprofit. It is a 501c3, so um, you know I'm sure he'll talk about how you could go online and donate money or how to get involved uh, with the foundation. But uh, from there, we'll segue into kind of his um, personal uh, hunting uh, excursions that are going to happen this fall. He's got uh, a pretty coveted tag in his pocket that we're going to talk about. In addition to that, he's very big on youths and, and getting kids in the outdoors and hunting, and, and his kids fortunately have some good tags as well we're going to talk about. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your 9 to 5 every day, specifically the NRA Foundation. Five. Okay. the I got the, a phone call when I walked in your door. I just did true. ignore, and that was a little late. That's true. Sometimes it could be, what, 7 to 10? 24, 7, 2 a.m. in the morning. That's true. You know, depends if it was in Utah or on the East Coast or is it yeah. 5 a.m. California time because somebody on the East Coast needs it. Yeah, so it's, Southwest it's Regional Director, tell us about, I mean, what does that cover? What does it do? I mean, obviously... Southwest Regional Territory is actually California, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. But the reality is, as a manager of... The National Rifle Association, there are six different regions all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. So um, I could be assisting with anything that happens in D.C. or Colorado or Alaska or Hawaii or even Florida, you know. So my job is really goofy. I, I tell everybody when it comes to the job that I do, it's really 24-7, 365. I've been very fortunate to be hunting up on top of a mountain somewhere and my phone buzz because remember guys if you're hunting on a mountain you got your phone always have it on vibrate do not Don't have, have the on. ringer no, on no but i've been I, I was on that colorado uh, sheep hunt walking and all of a sudden my backpack starts ringing and you're thinking oh my god your backpack's ringing i'm in the middle of nowhere i thought and i get cell coverage what's up with that yeah so yeah, so I mean, you could. So you cover five states. I actually cover four states. Four states, okay. So southwest corner, basically. Okay. Arizona, Nevada, Utah, but which cover? I mean, California. when we think of California, you've got northern, oh central, southern. I mean, you've got yeah, three there's... separate areas of the state. I mean, it's like you've got Sacramento North, you've got Central Coast that is always think kind of conservative. Then you get to the southern end of the state that kind of changes that kind of that latitude there. Oh yeah. So, California, the land of opportunity yeah. and the land of really I don't know what the hell's going on. The People's Republic, the I like People's to call Republic. it. The People's Republic, absolutely. Yeah, it's so, a, it's a it's a it's a large territory. I actually have five employees in California underneath me and then I have one in each of the other states. Okay. So I manage manage eight guys through okay. that territory. So based on, you know, the foundation itself, um, you know, I know part of what you do is fundraising. That's a big part of what you do, and obviously supervising the the guys that put these banquets, you know, together. Um, tell us a little bit about the fundraising and the banquets that occur. Maybe we can use California as an example, since that's um, where we're at. But just tell us about 
Um, you know, what happens at the banquets? Sure. What's the what's kind of the organizational structure behind those? Really, the banquet system is is, is not super old. Uh, NRA Friends of NRA basically started back in 1990, and the typical structure of the event is to basically have a live auction, a silent auction, and basically raffles and games, okay? We don't normally do what we call the entertainment section, as a lot of fundraisers do, no bands, anything like that. What we want to do is we really want people to come mix with other people of the same like mindset and ideally give a bunch of guns away. Um, You've been to some of the premier events throughout uh, the area, and uh, I, I like to say that the California model is a little crazier than a lot of the other states. I mean, we have events where we give 250 guns away in a single night. Our Paso Robles event here, it's a rock and roll yeah, it's party time. Event. It's first Saturday in March. Anybody, anybody want to come to Paso? Great wine. Come on down. First Saturday in March, we're going to have a hell of a party here for the NRA. Um, yeah, last year I think we gave 267 guns away in Paso Robles. Oh, that's it? That's it. So we're going to try to do 300, but, you know, 267 was the number That's that some happened. pretty happy people leaving a dinner banquet, I'm sure, because I know some people win multiple guns at times. Oh, my gosh. You have what? Those. One person told me they won 11 guns was their, their personal record in one night. Yeah. 11 guns! Wow. Yeah! And usually the wow. quality of guns, you know, there's some pretty high quality. I mean, we're talking Kimbers, we're talking... Colts, you know, Colts, and yeah. Weatherbees, yeah, you good name quality. It. You name it, we have it. Remington, Winchester, pretty much everything. Brownings. Yeah. I mean, that's that's our big thing. We like to have a lot of firearms at, at these events. But anyway, that's primarily these dinner banquets are all based off of of kind of the original Ducks Unlimited motto. Um, you know, we want to have general games where people can buy tickets to win. You know, sometimes you could buy $20 on what we call the wall of guns. We only sell 50 to 100 chances at 20 bucks each, and then you get to pick one of 50 different firearms. I mean, that's yeah. kind of one of the With the pretty fun good games. odds based on, you know, $20, 20 raffle ticket, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's not you don't have to be a rich person to be able to do it, but we all know this is an odds game. So the more tickets you have in the bucket, the better your odds are. Sure. So... Anyway, that's that's really our our base of that. Okay. But the other side is really all the money that we raise goes to projects to help protect and promote the Second Amendment. So okay. our friends of NRA programs, basically in the central, I'll just use Central California since that's where we're at right now. Um, Fifty cents on every dollar that we raise stays locally. The other 50% goes to national to fund the exact same style of programs. Most of our programs that we fund are based off of a 501c3. So gun clubs have junior shooting teams, okay, Boy Scouts, you know, Cub Scouts, local trap teams, um, all kinds pheasant, of junior pheasant junior hunt type pheasant stuff hunt, you guys Well, do. we actually did, I think, seven junior pheasant hunts in Central California, But you see those, you see small bore teams. Um, The young lady that actually got the first gold medal in the Olympics this year, she actually shoots on a team that's funded by the Friends of NRA. So so she got her start 
from the NRA raising money wow. and paying for her to be able to shoot. Now, she's, of course, gone to a way different level than most sure. people, but we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of kids get affected, and our whole goal is safety. I mean, you and I were brought up to respect firearms. Responsible kids handling firearms become responsible and respectable adults. So it's really a learning thing that that I think... You know, when we train these kids from the age of, well, I started at five with my kids, but say eight to 13 is a good range. When you train them properly, when they get to be older, they they act responsible. Yeah. So you don't ever hear about kids doing crazy things no. that are in our circles. Well, plus you, your concern of guns being left out or taking them hunting, you don't have that concern of them doing something because they respect the firearm and yet they know how to use it as well. Cause it, it's a tool. Yeah. I mean, I laugh because, you know, when I was growing up, every house I walked into when I closed the front door, there was a shotgun behind the door. Did we ever have anybody getting shot? The back of the truck going to high school, right? There was uh, a twenty-two or yeah, a shotgun. I mean, always. that was normal. That was that was normal stuff. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like they're, you know, freaked out if they even walk in a house and they see a firearm. Yeah. But my kids know, you know, they know all those things. And, yeah. you know, I always, I always, every time my kid grabs a gun to go out and go goofing around or go plinking or go shooting something, you know, the first thing I asked him is I said, what's the rule? He said, muzzle control. Know what's beyond the target that you're shooting at. I mean, it's just yeah. standard practice for, for yeah. my kids. Yeah, so. that's neat. So back to, you know, the grants and the funding. I think it's that's amazing to think that the amount of money that is raised, half of that goes to organizations to support local, again, kids, really getting kids in the outdoors, getting kids involved in doing 60 things. 60 to 70% of all the funds raised goes to that. Yeah. And youth, youth looking at projects. 2015, so these are just some general numbers, or there were around 1,100 events, uh, 60 million gross, and that effect probably 30 to 40 million net, and 2,800 grants awarded. And yeah. another interesting number since the inception in 1990 Roughly three hundred million dollars yeah, has been put back million. in the system to allow children to again enjoy the outdoors, go doing things that you and I used to do as kids that we took for granted. That now yep. are things that are again a privilege. I mean, it is a privilege to own a firearm, but it's amazing how it's changed over time and how it's evolved. But those numbers are those pretty are, dang amazing. Those to are think about. those are hard and fast. 2015 was was a good year. It wasn't as good as 14, and you know, it it was just a solid number. 1,100 events nationwide, 60 million gross, 30 plus million dollars given out basically in grants, and um, 2,800 grants. You know, some of these grants. One of the a, a new focus is. And you've probably heard, we have no places to shoot in California that aren't private. Everything's private now. So other states are really starting to focus, you know, Colorado, Wisconsin, Georgia, Tennessee. They're all focusing on trying to build public man ranges, usually on BLM property or fish and game property where they do it. So now one of NRA's big focuses is, hey, look, 
if you have a firearm, we want you to have a place to go shoot. So that's another one of our big things. And I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get California Fish and Game and California BLM to step up and possibly try to do some of those programs here. Whether or not we will, that's yet to be seen. Yeah. But we have, uh, we've had some special projects around here. I know you were involved in, over in Bakersfield, the Boy Scouts of America had some properties, but all their ranges were like 60 and 80 years old. I mean, yeah, they, they were a lot of work. They were just disgusting. And yeah. some of them were so dilapidated, they were unsafe. Yeah. And what we do, we gave them, well, I know you were involved. We gave one $50,000 grant. And then I think they came back two years later and asked for another an 50000 to actually totally refurb that whole facility. And now they, they've got 10,000 plus kids going through there every summer. Yeah. So, I mean, something that you could be proud of yeah. is giving back. You know, giving back to those programs. Yep. So a big part of these foundational, not only the banquets and the events, but it really all starts with volunteers. I think that's yes. kind of what I learned when I got into it, kind of my first couple of years, I, I didn't realize the power of a volunteer and what they bring to the table until you get a group of people that are like-minded, like you said, in the same room, you prepare and plan for these events for two, three, four months, and then you put out this event that makes like a hundred plus thousand dollars, and no one is in there waiting to get their paycheck. They're all there because they support the organization and they support, you know, the NRA, but Tell me about kind of volunteer committees and what it takes, maybe what it takes to be a volunteer and really the value that the volunteers add to the organization. The beautiful part about the Friends of NRA program and our, our foundation is the NRA foundation actually only has three employees. That's it. So my wage is paid by the National Rifle Association. And my employees' wages are paid by the National Rifle Association. But all the money that we raise basically goes to fund the projects that we want to fund. And that's the beauty of the foundation is with that, you really look at it and go, okay, this foundation that raised $60 million, how did they raise it? Well, guess what? It was all off of volunteers. I mean, you were on one of the biggest committees in the state of California. And that committee had, let's say, actively, they had 10 active volunteers. Two or three that were primary drivers, you know, but 10 volunteers that primarily did everything. We need good quality people. I mean, we have volunteers from every walk of life. I just had, for the first time, a young man that just turned 18, I uh, believe up in Placerville, he became a chairman of an event. Wow, that's 18 cool. 18 years old, okay? He sees the future sure. of the NRA. On the other side, we have my friend down in Santa Maria, who I think told me he had his 86th birthday the other day, and he's been doing this since inception. So we have people that are school teachers, we have people that are multi-millionaires, owners of big industries, and we have everything in between. Yeah. And being a volunteer is just like you said. You know what you get for doing this? Maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get a hat out of it. Yeah, maybe a knife, right? Maybe a knife. Expectations, though, is you're doing this because of what? 
you believe in the same things that I do, your God-given right to own a firearm and protect your family and your country from the bads that are out there. And the reality is, the only thing that stops a bad man with a gun is a good guy. Yeah, a a good guy with a gun, right. And be it a guy that's wearing blue, or be it a guy that's in his flip-flops and his robe, reality is that, you know... We're we're in a changed world since 9/11, yeah. and it was changing before then. But that's when we got the wake up call. Yep. Yeah. So I, I mean, I would agree 100%. Being on that side of the spectrum of being a volunteer, I mean, it is. It's it's a completely voluntary based system, but it's amazing the amount of energy you can get out of a group of people who are there for the same purpose, and they're not there to to, you know, where's my gun? Where's my handout? We're there. Because yeah. we want to be there because we support the effort. And I, I just think that it's amazing what when you get a bunch of people together, the, the amount of things that you can do uh, in a short amount of time uh, and the amount of money you can raise, literally. I mean, I've been to fundraisers where, oh, yeah, we, you know, we made $6,000 and it was a big deal, right? I mean, for kids, you know, baseball or something. But then you go to some of these NRA events where, you know, Sixty to seventy to thousand dollar net is is normal, yeah. And the dinner banquets that do over a hundred thousand are obviously the ones that are are top you know, yeah, ones. yeah, the top ten percent, right? Of of all the eleven hundred events that occur. So I, I just I think it's important to give a plug to the volunteer committees. And how could someone get involved? Like if if, if my anybody, friend said, "Hey, I want to be a volunteer on the committee." Anybody that wants to be involved in a committee, you could go to the NRA Foundation. And it's nrafoundation.org. And you could actually go to the website and it says volunteer. You could click the volunteer button, click the state that you're in, and basically send in a notice to headquarters. Hey, listen, Lucas will publish my email address. You could email me directly. It's jquick, J-Q-U-I-C-K, at nrahq.org. And I'll get you pointed in the right direction. But here's the cool thing. You're going to have people at a committee meeting that's going to work at Ernie's Deli and Liquor. You're going to have a guy that works down at the local, you know, mechanic shop, and he's going to show up in greasy pants. And then you're going to have the businessman from the local chamber of commerce all showing up. And guess what? You're all going to sit around the table as equals, and you're all going to be helping the cause. And, you know, you're going to invite your friends from your circle. He's going to invite his friends from his circle. And when you see all these people come together, you kind of look and you're like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't really fit. You know, I mean, a guy in greasy clothes and a guy wearing a suit. But the reality is that we're all the same. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's who we are. It's just, you know, you, what I've found with these things, and this has been the most amazing thing for me, I've met some of the coolest people, and man, I've made lifetime friendships over that because literally, you know, I, would I ever have met John Howe if it wasn't for you? No, no, I wouldn't have. He's in a different circle of life than I am, but because of you, I met him, you know? Who then ran five years of a committee that, you know... Did pretty dang good, right? And we pretty all, dang good. Yeah, I'd say pretty pretty it. dang good. We all yeah. had a good time doing it. So, so, 
But Very yeah, cool. that's that's the cool part about these things. If you're looking to volunteer, remember, you know, this is totally volunteer. You don't get anything for it. But at the same time, self-satisfaction, I tell everybody, every dollar that you raise helps protect our kids and our kids' kids' future when it comes to firearms. Very so. cool. Okay, we're going to switch gears just real quick before we kind of get into the meat of our discussion around uh, some of the hunting that you have going on this fall. But I think it's just important to just maybe just shed a little bit of light. It is October. It's an election <laughs> year, right? Uh, I just got my I just got my vote in the mail, right? My ballot because I do it. I don't go to the to the to the poll and actually do it. I like to sit at home, read about it. That's just how I am. But it's an election year, and don't remind lot, me of that. There's a lot of stuff happening. I know in your space, Whew. based on um, really what I would consider is the Second Amendment under fire is the way I look at it, right? But yeah. thinking about this election. And, you know, what does this mean for gun owners or what potentially could it mean? And I know you can't really spend too much based on your position in the foundation, but just give a high level overview of what you see this election doing with gun owners. Man, uh, once again, this is this is one of those times in America's history that we are really at what I would consider a major pivotal point in life. Um Really, it's never happened in my career with NRA or even my lifetime in my mind. Um, we're at a stage right now where the next president is going to guarantee to choose one Supreme Court judge. Potential in the next four to eight years to do three more at least. The challenge that I truly see in this election cycle is the presidential race, is we have one candidate that basically has openly said that she believes that we are her, and when I say we, I mean the NRA, is her number one biggest enemy. That's right. She doesn't think ISIS is a threat to her. She doesn't think Russia, China, Korea, or any other countries is a threat to her. She thinks the NRA, true-blooded, American-made human beings that will fight for you to the death in our military, which, God willing, my uh, nephew is on his way today back from uh, Kuwait, Iraq, to the United States. Hopefully he'll be here landing tomorrow. Um, Yeah. So there's one person that basically doesn't believe that you should be able to own a firearm even though they have a permit to carry one and they have secret service to protect them. They're okay with it, you not having it. But yeah. I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm swinging way You're off. Swinging, but you know, I mean, but it's the, a, the reality is, is depending on what happens on November 1st, it could change. Is, is, is it the 8th yeah. election? Okay, the 8th. It could change, you know... It could change the fabric of our nation. It could it could literally change the Constitution that was written yeah. many, many years ago. That was by our founding fathers that said in the Second Amendment that we have the right to bear arms to protect ourselves. And all we find now is that it seems like there's a new gun law every day that limits and restricts that right, our constitutional right, to do that. And what's scary to me is when you have a president who can 
file for executive order on things. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court, the Senate, the House says when they exercise that right. They change. And we've seen that in the in the previous yeah. eight years that I don't care what you say, this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to sign it into law. It's just scary. It, it really is. And, you know, I mean, we live in California. For those people that are blessed to live somewhere else where you actually you are having some incredibly good legislatures and, and Congress people that are protecting you, God bless you. We, we fight day in and day out in this state over the stupidest, littlest things. But guess what? All they want is one more little piece of the pie. You know, I, I heard a Congress member just the other day say something. Well, you know, how come the NRA just can't compromise a little bit? You know, I mean, if you just give up that, we'll leave you alone. And I just thought, are you just completely nuts? You know, when our forefathers founded the Constitution, they didn't say, well, you know... You know, here in a couple of years, you know, we're just going to give a little bit of our country back to the British. You know, I mean, let's give, let's give them a couple of states. They didn't say that. They said, no, this is ours. We're drawing the line in the sand. This is our stuff. And we're going to keep it. Compromise is not... That's not the answer. That's not the answer to anything. No. No. And like you said, they make more and more laws. And you know what? You and I are law-abiding citizens. We pay our taxes. We do our job day in and day out. We legally buy guns from an FFL, register them under yeah. the requirements that they require. Right. I mean, they're, they're all talking about, okay, well, this is going to protect the American citizens. Well, wait a second. Last time I checked, the word outlaw means they don't follow the laws anyway. So... They say, Lucas, I'm sorry, but you're no longer allowed to have this XYZ firearm. Okay, so if a guy can bring a panga boat full of drugs on the Pacific Ocean and land right out here on our point and bring what they estimate, what, three, four million dollars worth of drugs, leave the boat there because the boat's not worth anything... You're telling me that they're not smuggling in their own firearms? Come on, people. No. Wake up. Once you tell someone they can't have it, they're going to find any way to get it, right? And it's going to be illegally how they're going to do it. And The only people that get affected by that are law-abiding citizens yeah. that, that follow the rules, yeah. you know? Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the sad part is our politicians really, they do take things to a next level, and their opinion is that... What's right for them is okay, but it's not right for you as a normal citizen. But that's not the way United States was formed. United you know States the, was formed off of freedoms. You know what we need is we need we need a Teddy Roosevelt in office. Because yeah. I think about I think about what allowed us, you know, really conservation and what allows us to hunt and what allows us to have animals now to do the things we like to do was was Teddy Roosevelt signing in how many different initiatives around opening public lands and, you know, setting, a, setting restrictions on, no, you can't just go and kill all these buffalo because if you do, they'll be extinct and we'll never be able to enjoy the buffalo again. So all those things that he did, right, years ago, we're still thriving from a lot of those things, but we need a guy like that. 
that will stand up for our rights and do the right thing, and really around conservation in the Second Amendment, making sure that you know conservation is the act of protecting what we have now so we can enjoy it later. Yet now all we're doing is taking things away. And I think about, I don't have kids, you do, but think about when your kids are our age, are they going to be able to go and enjoy, you know, hunting for hogs on the central coast like you and I can go do, or going out and shooting an AR-15 and having fun doing that? Right, and that's it, the scary and, part for me. And it is. I mean, you know, uh, my dad said the other day, and he's he's 75 years old, he said the other day, yeah, you know, that stupid law doesn't affect me. I'm like, well, it doesn't affect you. And maybe it's not going to affect me, but it's going to affect your grandson and my grandson or my granddaughter. And that's the reality is we do have a little bit of an issue with our own people because here's the goofy thing. NRA has 5 million members. Everybody goes, holy crap, NRA has 5 million members. Yeah, but last census, which happened like six years ago, said there was 86 million gun owners. And what, you just quoted a number of 16 million background checks? Okay, so how many new gun owners do we have in the last 10 years? My projection is there's well over 100 to 110 million gun owners in the United States right now. That's a lot of people that own firearms. That's the reason Japan did not want to touch land on the United States. They're like, it would be a nightmare to try to take over the United States because every third household has a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's better than that, but you yeah. know, some households have enough to arm the whole street. But yeah. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Not that we haven't planned that one out. Exactly. I would God forbid the man that drives up our <laughs> driveway that thinks he's gonna get out of here alive. But yeah, so I, we don't wanna again belabor the subject, but I think the important get out and piece vote. is is get out and vote, do your homework, right? Read about these propositions read about what the president's standing for and really what their values are and really truly understand what your value set is and how that will affect you in the future. I think that's important. So Yeah, and if anybody needs, NRA ILA has the website. Even if you're not a member, God, come on, join. It's $35. Come on. Um, but even if you're not a member, at least go on the website for ILA, check your state, and click a little button and see what your representatives have done. If they've got an A-plus rating, guess what? They vote to protect your gun right. If they've got a B, that means they waffle a little bit. If they've got an F, that means you need to be voting for anybody that's running against them. Period. Period. <laughs> Very good. Yes, NRAILA.org. First and foremost, I want to thank everyone for listening. The RNA Outdoors podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found both on the podcast feed and our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. Feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed. We are live on Podbean and iTunes. For iOS slash Apple users, go to podcasts on your Apple device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. When you subscribe to a podcast using the podcast app for iOS or using iTunes on your Mac or PC, 
you are subscribing to the podcast updates by that particular podcast producer. With iCloud, you can synchronize your podcast subscriptions across all devices. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean or just use our website, again, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on any of our social media platforms. Twitter is at RNA Outdoors. Instagram is hashtag Rod in Arrow Outdoors. And of course, Facebook, you can search by just looking at RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you have heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Please join us next time for another edition of the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast.